Hey, this is the Mark Butler Show, episode 40. And a couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about leading indicators and lagging indicators and the difference between the two. Well, in my business, my job is mostly to deal with lagging indicators, meaning I mostly spend my time measuring the results of the work you did last week, last month, and last year. So, and every once in a while, I find myself in a conversation with a business owner where there really are no lagging indicators to measure or to talk about because their business is so new that there aren't significant results to talk about. So I end up having to talk with them about the getting started process. How do I get from zero clients to 10 clients to 20 clients? And the simple fact is that's not my area of expertise. So there are those moments where I'm talking to this business owner and I want to help and I don't feel like I'm doing a good job. And in fact, the best thing I can do for those people in that scenario is say, you know, you really need to hire a business coach whose specialty is getting people to their first 10 or 20 or 50 clients. But after I had this conversation this week with a coach who's really, she's made an effort, she has spent money, she wants to create a thriving business, but she has not found her rhythm yet. And I tried to talk her through some of the things that I've seen in businesses that have succeeded And I thought I would share some of those with you today because I don't have a lot of experience helping get helping people get from zero to something, but I have a lot of experience with people who have gotten to something and they're sustaining that and they're growing it. So I want to share this with you as an idea of what it looks like when you get over the hump, when you establish a little bit of momentum and, and the patterns that I see in these businesses that have established that momentum and sustained it. And if I had to pick one thing that distinguishes the businesses that I've seen that that do have steady and growing cash flow, one thing that they all seem to have in common is a business owner who has discovered her niche. She has found her groove with a specific profile of client or customer, and she's grown through that profile, through that customer to a big, strong business. Now, I think that Every business coach, every marketing book, every blog out there talks about picking your niche. Here's how to pick it. And I have to say that having talked with dozens and dozens of these coaches who are at the six-figure level and and not a few who are at the seven-figure level, it is not obvious to me that any of them picked their niche. They seem to have come into their niche in one of two ways. They either got there through testing and iteration and by accident and just by continuing to do their work and eventually finding a groove with uh, a type of customer, a type of client that they couldn't have necessarily predicted would be their ideal client when they were getting started. So that's one way. It's sort of the uh, iteration approach where they stumble their way to finding their ideal client or they're born into their ideal client. And That's my way of saying they kind of are their ideal client, and it turns out that the specific problems that they have, there's a big group of people that share those problems that they have relatively easy access to that they can serve. But I can't think of any of my clients who sat down in a pick-your-niche exercise and picked one, and that ended up being their successful niche, except when the niche they were picking was them. So let me give you some examples. Let me start with me because I want to give you the, uh, some ideas about what it sounds like when a person has discovered an effective niche, a, a sustainable niche. 
and what it sounds like when I think they haven't yet. So starting with me as the example, if we go back to the beginning of my time as a freelance CFO, when I started, I thought, okay, I'm going to help small business owners. I'm going to help small business owners budget their cash, smooth out their cash flow, pay themselves more, get out of debt. This was not a terrible idea. It worked out. I started to get clients and I got my very first client happened to be a life coach. But in that same period of time, I worked with a, an appliance retailer in Alaska. I worked with a CrossFit gym owner. I worked with the owner of an SEO agency. I worked with the owner of a software development shop. I worked with the owner of multiple rental properties two of those actually, two sort of real estate investor types that I started to work with. I worked with another um, kind of big box gym owner, and I was just sort of trying to serve all these different types of businesses. And it's not that it went horribly, but I quickly found out that it was easier to do a great job for a specific type of small business owner. And that's when I started to stumble my way into and, and kind of iterate my way into being the CFO for solopreneurs or the CFO for coaches. But what I found was even that was not yet the really narrow market position or niche that I could occupy. I eventually found out that there was a very specific type of coach that I served best. And it happened to be a coach who was generating more than six figures per year from a combination of one-on-one coaching, group coaching, online programs, and retreats. She doesn't have to be doing all of those things, but she has to be doing more than one of those things. Because what I found out is when a coach is pursuing more than one of those streams of income at the same time, she has volatility in her business and she has a lot of decisions about where to invest her time and her money. So while she's simultaneously trying to build out an online program, she's also setting aside money to pay for the retreat that she's doing next month. And she's also thinking about filling her group program for the month after that. All of that uh, complexity creates a need for a, a financial partner like me who can help her figure out the expenses for all of those things, make sure she's happy with where her money's going and keep herself healthy and keep herself paid as she's trying to do these different things. When I work with business owners, for example, I've, I've worked with a couple of business owners who, who do exclusively kind of online programs. So digital download kinds of businesses. And what I found out is there's really not much work for me to do in those businesses because there's not enough complexity. She's not that, that business owner isn't really laying out uh, large amounts to create her products necessarily. Some might be, but there's not as much need for the day-to-day budgeting and the managing of the cash flow in a business that's purely digital downloads as there is in one that has some digital downloads, but also does one-on-one coaching and maybe some retreats. So in discovering my ideal niche, I went through lots and lots of client experiences before I figured out that it was this very, very tight niche, this tight market position that suited me best. Life and business coaches generating more than six figures from a combination of one-on-one coaching, group coaching, online programs, and retreats. And I'm at my best when I discover that client or when that client discovers me right as she hits a tipping point in her business. So either within the last six months to a year or at the rate she's going, it will be within the next three to six months that she'll hit this inflection point in her business 
that I fit perfectly because she's now succeeding. The money's coming in and now she has to figure out what to do with it as she continues to grow and to succeed. It just turns out that's where I need to fit. So now that I have that total clarity about who my ideal customer is, who I serve best, now I can figure out how do I find and contact enough of her so that I can grow my business to the level that I want it. That's, in my opinion, a great example of discovering a niche, not picking it. But I can give you examples of clients of mine who were sort of born into their niche. I have a client whose whose market position is, or at least has been for the last few years, I help Mormon moms who are tired of yelling at their kids stop yelling at their kids. That's just so brilliant. I mean, it just works so well. It's the kind of thing that when you hear it, it just snaps. It's just, yes, that makes total sense. And it turns out that she understands that that's that's pain that a lot of people feel because she is a Mormon mom who used to struggle with yelling at her kids and didn't like that feeling. And so she became the life coach who helps Mormon moms with that. Now, it turns out that as her business has grown and thrived, now she can actually expand her, her position. She can expand her brand to cover all things mental health and emotional health for uh, Mormon women. But she established herself in this very, very tight market position of, I help Mormon moms who don't want to yell at their kids anymore stop yelling at their kids. You can see what a difference it is between that positioning statement and I'm a life coach who helps women be more confident mothers or something. Broad, vague. It's not that it's a no. It's not that it doesn't make any sense, but it doesn't snap. It doesn't instantly bring someone to mind. I know a Mormon mom. She has little kids. I wonder if she's ever frustrated with the, you know, the, the habit of yelling at them or raising her voice or something. It's, it's tight. I have another one, a client who was, uh, well, she is, she's an MD. She's a medical doctor. She wanted to lose some weight. She lost weight. She is now a coach who helps medical doctors lose weight. And she's having great success because she is her client. I have another client whose position is I help women who have a desire to run long races like 10K plus, but have a lot of weight to lose. So she is the weight loss coach to the aspiring runner. And that's another one where she was the person who wanted to lose some weight and really enjoyed running. And she wanted to serve people who were like her, non-traditional runners. They don't look like the magazine picture. She wanted to serve that person because she was that person. So these are examples where people were sort of born into their ideal niche and then niche. And then I'm an example of someone who discovered it through iteration. But I bring all of these up because when I talk to people who have clearly not discovered their ideal niche and maybe also weren't born into it, or if they were born into it, they haven't yet identified, wait a minute, I actually was born into a great niche. I am this great niche. I should just serve that. When I talk to them, I'm not in a position to teach them how to fix their problem. They should go to my friend Philip Morgan's website, buy the positioning manual because it really helps with this. But what I find is that I can just hear and tell that they have not figured out their ideal niche yet. Because when I say, tell me who your ideal customer is, 
they say things like, I help people who want to make a difference in the world. I'm not mocking that. That's great. That's a great aspiration. The problem is you will be hard pressed to find anyone that when you say, well, I help people who want want to make a difference in the world. No one's going to say, oh, I I don't want to make a difference in the world. So you've said, basically, I want to help everyone. It's only slightly less generic than I help women. I coach men. I, I coach women who are over 45 years old. I mean, it's just these things are so generic that when you talk to a person, you can tell that they have not yet had enough coaching experiences to have solved a specific set of problems in their clients so that they can narrow in on these, on these problems and build a business around them. Now, since I'm not the marketing person, why, why is the CFO even talking about this? Well, it's because it shows up in the numbers. It used to really frustrate and confuse me when I would have certain calls with certain clients and the vibe of the whole call is easy and it's relaxed and there's cash and hey, what are you going to do next? And this is what I'm going to do next. And then she does it and it pays and it just feels easy. And then over the years where I've had a few clients where every call feels like a grind. I don't know what to do next. I thought this was going to work. It didn't work. I'm frustrated. No one bought. Why didn't they buy? I'm struggling to get clients. Now, there's a lot of factors at play there. And again, I'm not the business coach. I'm not the marketing coach. But I do see a pattern here that the people with the clearest position, the clearest market position, clearest niche, whatever you want to call it, tend to struggle less. The sales seem to come easier. And speaking for myself, I will say that once I figured out and committed to this positioning of coaches generating more than six figures from one-on-one group online and retreats, once I did that, when I would say that to people, they would either instantly say, oh, that's, that's cool, meaning I don't even know what you're talking about, or they would say kind of that's me, or I have a client that you need to talk to because it's so clear. So for me, my positioning is so tight and so clear that when I'm talking to my ideal prospect, I'm going to close that person 80% of the time, 90% of the time, because it's already so clear that I am the person that she's looking for. And all of the evidence in my business points to the fact that I'm the person that she's looking for. So the sales are easy. The marketing isn't necessarily easy because it is kind of a struggle to be in the right place at the right time for that coach who is just hitting her inflection point in her business. But once we do connect, it's just an obvious yes, usually within about 10 minutes. If you are struggling with cash flow in your business, if you're struggling with momentum, some part of that might be unavoidable. But as you're struggling and as you're saying, taking on clients and saying yes to new clients, recognize that what you're really on the hunt for is not so much the cash from those first 10, 20, 50 clients, in my opinion. What you're hunting for is the set of problems and the set of attributes that a big enough people share that you can dial in on and serve. And then I can promise you as the CFO who has seen so many businesses finances that the lagging indicator that will show up three months, six months, 12 months later will be cash. It'll be growing bank balances. If you haven't yet committed to a narrow, clear, clean market position, go to work on that. Make that your priority. And my promise to you is that it will show up in your financials. I hope you have a fantastic week and I will talk to you next weekend.